Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Hello there, and welcome back to another exciting episode of This Song Is Yours. I'm Simon Fink, your host and guide through the musical landscape of 2024, and today we're thrilled to have two legendary figures on the podcast. It's Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker from Slater Kinney. Hailing from the vibrant music scene of Olympia, Washington, these trailblazing musicians have been shaking up the industry with their feminist anthems and progressive lyrics for over three decades. With their punk alternative and indie rock sound, Slater Kinney have become synonymous with raw energy and uncompromising authenticity. Now, their latest offering, the critically acclaimed 11th record titled Little Rope, is a testament to their enduring relevance and artistry, and it explores themes of pain, grief and resilience, and is an absolute masterclass in urgency. Now, in today's episode, we have the pleasure of chatting with both Carrie and Corin about the creation of Little Rope and the inspiration behind some of its standout tracks. We're also going to delve into the band's origins and how their time in Australia influenced their original sound. We'll also be discussing their freshly announced Australian tour, where we'll be seeing Slater Kinney grace our stages in May. As always, you can find details of where to purchase the record and tickets to their tour in today's show notes. We also want to give a big shout out to Lavelle for her invaluable assistance with today's episode. Before we dive into this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to This Song Is Yours on your preferred podcast platform. It does always help. So please, thank you for doing that. Again, all details are in today's show notes. So let's not waste any more of your time. Here is our conversation with Slater Kinney. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker from Slater Kinney. Ladies, hello. How are we? Great. Good, thanks. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm extremely excited to have you on the podcast as um, there is a brand new Slater Kinney record that's out at the moment. It's been out for a few weeks. Firstly, congratulations on this record. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Of course. It is the 11th in the catalogue for the band. Um, And I'm kind of curious to begin with, I know that through all the iterations of the band, I know that we've gone through a hiatus, we've gone through uh, like uh, band member lineup changes. Does releasing an album still feel the same each time you kind of go through it? Is there still nerves involved with it for either of you? Or is it just kind of old hat at the moment where it's a, a process that you know and m- maybe love, maybe don't so much love? I don't think there's anything old hat about it. it it's always a little bit nerve wracking to put material out into the world. You, you know, we're different. The world is different. You don't know where you're meeting people at, you know, emotionally. It's, yeah. I mean, I think 
if you care about something, then of course you're going to feel a little bit vulnerable putting it out there. So yeah, there, there's nothing that just feels like a ho-hum or sigh or anything like that. <laughs> I can very much appreciate that with this record, especially, I feel like this is, um, it is a stunning record and I won't keep harping on about it. I, you've done a fantastic job with it. Um, this is one of the most personal and kind of close to the chest, I want to say, Slater Kinney records. How did this kind of process start of sitting down to write this record? Well, I think we <clears throat> we started writing at the end of 2021, um, coming off of tour for the Path of Wellness. And, you know, we actually wrote, I think, Untidy Creature and Needlessly Wild as some of the first songs for the album. And they were very, I guess, full on would be <laughs> one way of describing them. But I don't think we knew for a while, you know, just how personal and how intense this record was going to end up being. We just knew we wanted to work. We, we wanted it to be focused. We wanted it to be... We wanted it to reach people. You know, we were coming out of the pandemic where we couldn't tour for a long time. We couldn't see people. And I think we really wanted to turn the page on that with these songs. But um, it became its own. The album became its own journey, definitely. I think I also push back slightly on it being the most personal Slater Kinney record. I, You know, I, I think I listened to something like Dig Me Out or the hot rock or the woods or one beat. And I just think, Oh, those are really personal records. You know, I, I, I think grief is interesting because people see it as this almost like taboo, like subject matter, even though it is literally the most common thing. Like it's actually the only thing that we can all <laughs> that we have in common <laughs> is that we will all die and people we love will die. So it's it's interesting to me as the person that went through, you know, a loss uh, in conjunction with this record. Yes, it's personal, but, you know, we've always been a band that has grappled with, you know, emotional subject matter and given ourselves license to vacillate between rage and joy on an album. And we've put forth many unvarnished and raw, you know, songs over the years. And I think, I guess there might be sort of a cohesive tragedy that befell this record. But to me, it's part of a lineage with Slater Kinney where we do just kind of lay it all on the line. Those tend to be the records people relate to the most. 100%. And I can, um, I very much appreciate the pushback. You're probably right in terms of that previous records are quite personal as well. This one, as you mentioned, there was um, a situation that we don't really have to get into if you don't want to carry. I know you've spoken about it uh, throughout a lot of press for this record, so I won't make you kind of go through it again. But um, with that in mind, when there is something that does cause something like a loss or grief, was there ever any point where either of you kind of look at putting the record on hold or taking that time away from it to to process in a different way? Or was it that this record, Little Rope, kind of helped 
with that process of kind of being able to move forward and, and process, I guess, those feelings. There definitely wasn't any pressure to finish the album. You know, I think Corin would have understood, uh, you know, there was no, no external pressure, but the band and the writing of the music, the songs themselves became something that I could tend to and care for. And also just most simply that I could work on, like just, it gave me an activity when I felt very useless and shapeless and completely destabilized. You know, the, the fulcrum that is Slater Kinney is one that has existed for most of my adult life. And that is something that I know. There's a familiarity to it, a shape to it that I find comfort in. And, but grief was very new. And so it was not easy, but it was um, something, there was something ritualistic about returning to the band. And so we just kept writing. Uh, but there wasn't, yeah, no one was sort of forcing that, but it just became a choreography that was, was comfortable and comforting. 100%. Well, um, with this record, the, the sonics on this record are some of the most kind of ferocious, I feel like. Sadie Kinney has been in a little while as well. Um, I know that you worked with John Congleton for this record. And to my understanding is that there was a, I want to say a mantra or like a bit of a discussion beforehand where you wanted to go in and make this record not, and please correct me if I've got this wrong. I think the word was gross. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I would say that <laughs> that was our favorite adjective. And, and, and I think, you know, to sort of clarify that a little bit is that we wanted it to match. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The intensity of our feelings. So frustration, um, anger, sorrow, like those feelings are uncomfortable. And I think, you know, by experimenting with tones that were dark, distorted, um, that had a lot of texture to them. Cause I think that the main thing that I feel like that the distortion does is that gives the guitar a texture. It gives it a layer and it's also destabilizes it, especially on my guitar. 
it makes just like sort of a regular chord, something that is there and it's not quite there. And I felt like all of that gave us texture and layers to tell the story that we wanted to tell with it. 100%. Was there ever any, like a point where it got too uncomfortable, too gross, if you will, where the sounds like, oh no, that's probably, we've, we've pushed it, the envelope too far. I don't think so. Something that John Congleton, I think, subscribes to, and also Dave Fridman, the producer for The Woods, is you, know, you don't want to do something halfway. You know, th- that sort of middle ground really doesn't show up on an album. If you're sort of aiming for some vague middle, you know, you're starting to veer towards mediocre, just this, it's kind of a nothingness. And even something that sounds really distorted and blown out and grotesque in the moment, you listen to it two times and you don't hear it anymore. You know, in order to really impact the listener, you have to make choices. But I think the other thing we did was contrast some of that growl and some of those guttural sounds with things that were very harmonious, you know, with with melody. You know, the vocal melodies are quite catchy on a lot of the songs. There are, you know, synthesizers that help counter some of the, you know, more, I don't know, darker thornier tones. So we weren't interested in pummeling the listener or in like destroying sort of, you know, (laughs) self-immolating like sonically. I think we just wanted to create a world and have there be contrast and oppositional forces in there. So for every song that had distortion, you know, we would maybe match that or, you know, counter that with something that was more dulcet you know, mellifluous uh, tone-wise. And, um, but, you know, Slater Kinney's just, we're not a band, we're, we're not like a pretty songs band. That's, <laughs> that's not necessarily what we're known for. We can do that. But I think our strength lies in conjuring a little bit more of the messiness and the discomfort. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I wouldn't listen to Slater Kinney for, you know, like a nap. <laughs> I can very much probably agree with that, that it's probably not good advice to to try and nap to Slater Kinney. I feel like um, the song that maybe encapsulated all of that messiness and un- uncomfortableness, but the harmonious kind of bits that you mentioned as well, was um, my favourite track on the record. It was Small Finds. It's about halfway through the record. And I feel like that it kind of jumps from like the verse to the chorus in terms of Corin, you're singing and like... Uh, I want to say almost like howling in the chorus. It's an incredible song. I was wondering if um, you're able to kind of take us through the inspiration or the creation of that song. Yeah, I mean, that song came out of like a guitar jam that Carrie and I were doing in the same room that was like this spiky thing that she was doing that I really liked and wanted to make into a song. And it's one of those things where it was definitely a maybe song for the album. It was like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know you know, like the idea of doing something halfway, I could tell that song was going to get taken down if the vocals weren't 110%. And so I really tried to throw my voice into these really compelling sounds and characters, um, you know, 
And so I, I was playing with those ideas and trying to come up with um, a story to tell with, with the different vocal sounds and this idea of sort of turning inward to find joy, um, you know, because so much of the record is dark and talking about the big things that we go through, especially at this age. And I think that one thing that is really nice is, is being able to see, you know, joy in our relationships with people, but also our animals and our dogs and, and so I kind of turned that inside out and looked at it from the point of being a dog, someone that really resonates with just the small joys in life. And um, and then I did try to make it as gross as possible to fit the album. So, <laughs> yeah, I will just I just want to shout out to Corin's vocals on that album. It's one of my favorite vocal performances because between the verse, chorus, and then the coda, which you know. The, the song structurally is quite odd. It, you know, you have this first chorus, first chorus, and then just this long sort of third section. And her each part is has such distinct vocal styles. It's amazing to me that that's all one singer. And I feel like that is something that Corinne would not have been able to do on her earlier records. You know, she she really has a lot of control over her voice now in a way that's very exciting to write for that. It is an incredible performance in that track and across the whole record. Um, thank you for allowing me to kind of ask about that and sharing that uh, insight with me. Um, I would love to know, and it might be a little bit obvious, um, there has been quite a few tour dates announced, I think, across the US and across in Europe and London, the UK. Can we maybe expect to see Slater Kinney down here in Australia, maybe at some point this year or next year? You know what? The answer to that is yes. And will actually be coming to Australia before Europe and the UK. So look for some tour dates in May. Oh, that is very exciting to hear. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Um, I yes. know that the band has had um, a little bit of, well, like a bit of a history with Australia, not just that you've toured here before. I know, I think there was a trip to Australia after graduation right at the start of the band. I know that you've worked with the lovely Robert Forster from the Go-Betweens who we've had on this podcast. Um, are there any kind of key memories that kind of jump to mind from previous Australian tours when you think back on um, visiting us down here in, in Australia? So many good memories. Um, I mean, I think... That initial time that we spent in in Sydney and Melbourne was was really a, such an important time for the band for us to just try a bunch of different things in songwriting. I mean, we wrote our first record in Australia. We went to Adelaide and literally lived above a bar for a week. We're based in Adelaide. What what bar? <laughs> I'd have to look it up. But we our first tour in Australia. So we had an Australian drummer, Laura McFarlane. She's from Perth, uh, but was living in Melbourne. And we were so broke that the only way we could get from one city, one venue to another was to take a bus. Mm -hmm. And so we would, and as all Australians know, but perhaps Americans or people outside Australia don't know, these cities are far apart. It's preferable to fly. <laughs> so these buses are, they're like 10 to 12 hour bus rides. And then we would get to these cities and the only way we could afford a hotel was often these small pubs we were playing. They have these kind of like rooms above the bar, above the pub where you stay and there are bunk beds and a shared 
bathroom in the hallway and you know it was it was pretty grimy it was pretty derelict but it was such a core memory i mean so australia yes we have tons of great touring stories there but it's it's very fundamental and foundational in in the formation of of slater kinney you know it's where we figured out c sharp that's what we tuned down to uh you know we finally plugged in two tuners on the stage because we were so out of tune otherwise. And we happened to be in C sharp. We could have been in any other tuning. We could have been in drop D. We could have been in standard E and we were in C sharp that day, you know? So to us, Australia, you know, you can't separate it out from who Slater Kinney is uh, in terms of how we came to be. So we always look forward to going back there. We are very excited to to have you back um, in May, and hopefully, we're going to look after you in terms of that. It's not going to be the pub or the hostel that will make sure there's some proper accommodation <laughs> for you this time. Um, thanks, Simon. I'm, thanks for paying for all of our hotels. You heard it here first, Simon. <laughs> putting this the is bill. a legally binding document. Yes. Yeah, five star hotel all across, <laughs> not just in Adelaide, but every city. <laughs> you get those flights too, right? Send me the, yes, send me the invoice and we will sort it out. Okay. <laughs> um, very quickly, I do want to ask, um, we usually ask, I guess, what they're currently listening to. Is there anything at the moment that's kind of on a high rotation for for both of you, respectively? I got really hooked on the Blonde Shell album. We interviewed her and I just, yeah, I keep listening to it more and more. So that's definitely a heavy rotation for me. I've been in podcast mode, so I'm literally going to just open up my Spotify and see what I've listened to last. <laughs> um, that's so weird. It's also Blonde Shell for me too. Um, before that, it looks like Steely Dan and Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> so that's that's an unfiltered, off-the-cuff answer. Um, no lies. <laughs> oh, very solid choices. I very much appreciate that. Um, both Carrie and Corin, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Excited to see you in Australia. Again, you let us know where you want to stay. We'll foot the bill. Um, but thank you again for coming onto the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.